In this episode of Great Practices, I'm talking with Rich Maltzman and Jim Stewart, co-authors of the book, Great Meetings, Build Great Teams. We'll discuss why meetings are such an important part of building a strong project team, the benefits of doing them well, and the consequences of doing them poorly. You'll also find out what Kano design theory, very interesting by the way, has to do with people expecting more and more out of your meetings and what you can do to be sure to deliver. Plus, find out what it means to be large and in charge and understand what poor driving habits have to do with understanding bad behaviors in meetings. It's hard to say when something is a best practice, but it's much easier to know when something is a great practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. Interviews with PMO and project management leaders who, through years of trial and error, have discovered their own great practices and are now sharing their insights with you. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation as Chris Kopp uncovers another great practice in this episode. Well, meetings are a necessary evil for project managers. Some say that over 50% of a project manager's time is spent in meetings. Now, this could be with a project team, executives, customers, vendors, and a slew of other people. So this also means that project teams, executives, customers, vendors, and a slew of other people are also spending their time in meetings, not just with this project manager, but other people as well. Now, you'd figure with so much practice, we'd be able to have great meetings that are productive, inspiring, refreshing, and clear. Yet, we find the opposite to be true, don't we? We find that most meetings are non-productive, they're soul-sucking, draining, and confusing. We're going to put an end to that today with the guests that we have on, Rich Maltzman and Jim Stewart, co-authors of the book, Great Meetings, Build Great Teams. Gentlemen, welcome to Great Practices. Great to be here. Thank you, sir. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Go for it, Rich. Sure. So very briefly, Rich Maltzman, a 40-year practitioner in project management and engineering, and then more recently, uh, working as full-time faculty at Boston University as a master lecturer. And Jim Stewart, I'm an independent project manager and agilist, independent for about 20 years now, but a lot of project management. And prior to that, network engineer, I do a lot of things. All right. <laughs> I write courseware, I write questions, I manage projects, I consult, I've done PMOs. I guess my next frontier is something to do with artificial intelligence, but I don't know what that will be. Rich will tell me and then I'll just do it. So, <laughs> And I've written a couple of books with Rich. This is our actually the second version of this book and... But we'll talk more about that, but it is the second version of this book, so we'll get to that when you're ready. Okay, excellent. Well, that's what we're absolutely looking forward to getting into there. Now, the reason that you're both on together, and this is the first time we've had two guests on together, is that you've created something together. And Jim, you mentioned it briefly, but you want to tell us a little bit more about this book that you've recently co-authored? Yeah, so for everyone's edification, this the first edition of this book four or five years ago started life because I said to Rich, he had been writing books. Let's write a book together. And a friend of mine said, how about those big meetings you do? So we wrote a book together, giving the long story short here, about meetings, but they were focused around these big two-day meetings, both of us, or multi-day meetings both of us had uh, taught or worked on, and also as for teaching, that's meetings as well. But when it came time to re-up it, post-pandemic, we thought, well, rather than focus on a big two-day meeting, let's focus on, not just focus on, but talk more about virtual meetings and, you know, working remotely, working distributed, those type of tools that have grown since then. And just about, I, I like to think of it as really a, a toolkit 
First time I've used that word, Rich. A toolkit for project managers to run meetings, a how-to, a nuts and bolts how-to, with some academia, some science. But that's the idea behind it. So we're really trying to get people to run better meetings. I don't know how better to say that, but at, at base, we're taking a situation where people aren't communicating well or running meetings well and trying to make them have or help them have better meetings in a, in a really in a nutshell. Yeah. No, it's definitely a necessary, it's definitely a necessary uh, topic. So we've got... Great meetings, great teams, great practices all fits together for our discussion this morning. So that's perfect. So let's go ahead and start talking about a little bit about these meetings. And why are meetings so important to great teams? Why is that critical? Go ahead, Rich. Yeah. So I think that you have to realize that a meeting like the one we're having right here in this podcast it is a communication, a form of communication. And as you mentioned, Chris, project managers spend 50% of their time in meetings. And most PM thought leaders think that 90, 80, 90% of project management is communications. And I agree, I think it might even be higher. So if you cannot run a, a meeting, that will have an immediate impression on the project team you are trying to build. They will leave the meeting muttering under their breath and maybe not so under their breath to each other. This guy, this this person is running our is running our project. They can't even run a decent meeting. So it's it's a confidence builder if it's done well, and it's a confidence buster for yourself and for the team if it's done poorly. So that's why it's so important to become a good project meeting facilitator, or if you're not, to delegate that to someone else. It's one of the things we have as a theme through the book, is that if you aren't great at running meetings and it's an important meeting, you can delegate that to someone else. But we'd rather see you develop the skills so that you can do it yourself. And can I add one thing, Chris? I recently did finished an Agile transformation. The, the book is subtitled, A Book for Project Leaders and Agilists. And so as an Agile coach, I had to help in a pharmaceutical situation, scientists become Agilists. And they were pretty adept at it. But what I discovered, or maybe should have discovered, without thinking about it, is even though they were good, they became better at Agile, they still weren't good at running meetings. Yeah. And Agile has a fair amount of meetings. So even though I taught them Agile, I still had to come to them and say, you're starting your meeting too late, which is why it's ending too late, and things like that. So just because somebody does waterfall, traditional waterfall or Agile or anything, there's nothing in either literature of either of those. The word meetings didn't show up in the Pinbox 5. And even then, it barely described nothing about how to do it. So yeah. on both sides of the equation, people need to learn how to run meetings or, or everything just sort of falls apart. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's like the whole thing, like if you're an individual contributor, then, oh, you must be a great manager, right? <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, that's, that's a whole different skill set that you have to bring with you right. in order to accomplish, in order to accomplish that. And, yeah. you know, and I really appreciate the point, Rich, like you're saying, it sets the tone. If you've got somebody that's in there and they're stuttering, they're stammering, and they're not organized, and they don't have a clue about the direction of the meeting, that just sets the tone for the project and for the team. And it's just not a good, it's just not a good look, is it? By any stretch. It's that whole thing about first impressions, you know, that you come to your first kickoff meeting and the guy's fumbling the ball and you say, wow, oh, this is not, not going to be good. So finish this sentence for me, if you could. If done well, meetings can blank. Again, I'll, I'll defer to you, Rachel. I prefer age over beauty, so go right ahead. <laughs> okay. Oh. If done well, m- meetings can build confidence for you and the team. They can build your reputation as a leader. In fact, I've been, my latest 
push is that project management is a misnomer. It's project leadership. And you can demonstrate that project leadership by calling the right meetings. First of all, some meetings can be an email, as we all know, yep. or a text. So you call the right meetings with the right people. And we talk about this and how to do that in the book. And you build your reputation as a project leader rather than a project manager. So move on to the, the next version of this question. Well, if meetings are done poorly, what does that mean? Well, we, we alluded to that before, but let's dig a little bit deeper. You have, say you have a one-hour meeting to discuss some software issue, or not just issue, your agenda, discuss the project, et cetera, and you have an agenda, and in that hour, you as the leader are able to perhaps discuss two things out of the eight you plan to discuss well. There are six things left on the table that should have been discussed. Now, sometimes it might be a good reason. Yeah. Those two things might have been big risks that came up. But if you knew going in, you're supposed to discuss those eight, you allow people to sidetrack the meeting or you rambled on or whatever, that's cumulative. You have, now you've got to go to the next meeting where maybe it's next week. You've got to go to those other six things. Maybe something has gone to the top. So it's a consistent series of, I hate to use the word failure, but inefficiencies that lead to people being frustrated that, my my item isn't being discussed. We're not getting to this. We're not getting to the point. And at the end of the day, all that cumulative stuff means, you know, the vendor wasn't contacted because it never came up in the meeting. Or we didn't test the such and such because we forgot to discuss that. So it's a cumulative effect of those. You can survive one or two, but a series of them will just we'll, – we'll, we have an expression <laughs> for, this, for the first – in, in Agile called technical debt. Yep. Technical debt in Agile is when you – shove technical problems under the table and get to them eventually. That's okay as long as you recognize it and fix it. You can line up with a, a project debt of things. Oh, we didn't do these 30 things yet because we never discussed them. So yeah. I think I think that's a large measure, in my opinion. I yeah. just want to add that in our in our book, we, we refer to a book called The Surprising Science of Meetings. And there's been some significant studies uh, of lasting severe negative effects of poor meetings. They carry over, just like Jim had said, but they're, they're surprisingly lasting, and they actually can be kind of a contagion to a, to a project team. And in this book, which is more about organizations as a whole and not projects, it's lasting. And, and Rich came up with a piece of information that was too late for the book, showing literally the science of the fact that back-to-back -back meetings, they, they, they study and more and more stress, back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. So by the end of the day, you have these maybe poorly run. I'd be running, Rich and I'd be running poorly run meetings, I think, if by the end of the day we ran eight in a row every single day. I've seen that happen. And then, of course, not even to mention, outside of the scope of the book, people who tell me routinely that they have 10 or 15 projects they're running yeah, when they should have three or four max, and they're back-to-back -back meetings. I don't know how they get anything done. Yeah, it's so a recipe for disaster. Yeah. It, it's like I've heard it says, you know, you only have to you only have to work half a day. What you decide to do with the other twelve hours is up to you. you know, right, that's, exactly. That's ultimately what that's ultimately what happens there, you know, is people you just you get your work done after hours, unfortunately. So Yeah. Or not at all. So let's let's go on a bit of a we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about how to fix this then, right? So we've got we got the problem set up here and we're gonna go on a little bit of a tangent and bring it back in. We're gonna talk about something called Kano design theory, maybe I think I'm saying that right. And Rich, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about what this design theory is, and then we're going to see how we can apply this to meetings. 
Yeah, it's to me, I see something here that's not theory, but practice. So this is Noriaki Kano. He's a uh, quality, one of the quality gurus from the 80s in Japan, a la the Toyota uh, production system. And it's really about requirements. So this could be applied to many things, but let's apply it to meetings. What it says is that all requirements are not the same. There are three kinds of requirements, basic requirements that if you don't meet them, people get if you'll excuse my salty language, they get pissed off. Uh, then you have the lighters, requirements that if they're met, drive people in a positive sense crazy with delight. Yeah. And then you have the kind of the average requirements that as you do them better, you, you are pleasing customers in kind of a linear fashion. So you can actually plot this uh, in your mind by thinking of happy, sad, good, bad. Happy, sad is the vertical axis, and good, bad refers to how well you as a, as a vendor, in this case, a meeting producer, uh, are meeting the requirements of the uh, customer. And you can imagine three curves, one linear curve, that's kind of the, the regular requirements. Basic requirements are the ones that would tail off down towards very, very sad. Yeah. If they're not there, like cleanliness in a restaurant. Yeah. And then there are the unexpected things that you can deliver to, to your customers, in our case, our attendees, that as you do them, they get exponentially more and more thrilled, like caviar and, and gourmet food on a flight to Newark from Boston. You would never expect. <laughs> Whereas keeping the restaurant theme, there I go again, Jim, with food analogies, you know, you would expect to not see cockroaches and rats running around the restaurant. Right? Yes. But as you clean it up and make the restaurant spotless, all you do is get to the point where customers will go into the restaurant. So that's the, the theory. I, I invite people to check it out because it is a somewhat visual, the visual explanation works better, but the point is all requirements aren't the same. And we can apply this to meetings. If I can jump to jump ahead here. Absolutely. Um, we can apply this to meeting by thinking about what we deliver to our attendees. If people walk away from the meeting inspired, informed, excited about the project, feeling like they had a chance to speak up. That sounds almost like a basic requirement. That's probably in, in our context, that's probably a delighter. Right. Whereas just having the meeting start on time, having, you know, having the right room, th these are more basic requirements. And if you don't meet those, you probably won't even have your meeting. In our book, we give examples of simple things. Jim gives a great example of a meeting location where it's 2930 Main Street, but it's actually a complex of 17 different buildings in a campus, and you're driving around not even knowing which building to park in front of. So Kano is, is outstanding. It's an outstanding technique, and it's basically about the fact that all requirements aren't the same. And for the record, Mr. Kano is in his 80s, and he's the recipient of a, a Deming Individual Award, so he's a, he's a heavyweight. And, and Rich loves the Kano model. He's convinced me to love it as well. Not that I disliked it, but he sort of opened my eyes a little bit to it more so than I'd been thinking about it. Yeah, it just it's not something that you would normally maybe apply to a meeting. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like it's more product focused, more product centric. Right. Sure. But I love the I love the fact that the same principle is going to apply. You know, like you're saying, the basics: you start on time, the room's clean, you get somewhere to sit, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, a meeting has to have outcomes. So in a way, it's kind of like a product. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. you know, it's, a, it's not unusual for quality control tools to be applied that way. PMBOK, Project Manager Body of Knowledge, would talk about the control chart, which came from manufacturing as a way to measure satisfaction within customer service or whatever. So you can use quality tools in a number of different ways that maybe they weren't originally intended for or designed for. Yeah. 
Okay, so now let's say that you have, let's say you have been able to delight people. You've, you've, you just ran a meeting that inspired, informed, excited your audience. What, what, what's the, what's the catch about running that kind of meeting? What? Yeah. So this is something a lot of instructors fail to point out about Kano. There's an, there's another arrow on the chart pointing down and to the right, to the southeast, if you will, and and that arrow implies being spoiled. Um, so as you delight people, they they start to expect that delight. Uh, a good example, and we're old. I'm old enough anyway to uh, remember when cars um, might not even have a radio, and then the cars the cars would typically come with an AM/FM radio, and then it would be stereo, and then they would include. And now I'm really aging myself. Eight tracks. Now you would expect in any car that there would be at at a minimum a radio that's capable of satellite you know, serious XM reception. And if it didn't have that, you would be, you would be very, very uh, disappointed. So that effect of being spoiled and entitled is the catch. And that's good though, because it keeps us on our toes. We should be continuously improving how well our meetings are run. That's the catch. And Rich actually remembers when they had to crank cars to start them, but he didn't want to say that. Well, I, I remember feeding hay. <laughs> the, the joke, of course, is I'm actually older than Rich, but it's just fun to tease him. <laughs> there's there's the whole concept of like, what have you done for me lately? You know, what I mean, right. it's like you can just do the best. You can just do the best uh, meeting. You can nail it. You can, you know, get 100 percent as far as how well it went. But people, like you said, are going to want more and they're going to want more and they're going to want more because they get used to it. Not only that, you can't get complacent. Yes. I'm fond of saying that other people may not love your meeting as much as you do or your, mm. your project as much as you do. So you run a couple of good meetings, you think, oh, I really got them in the palm of my hand. And yeah. then they have a lousy day. And they don't want to be there that day. You can't take for granted that people will want to be at your meeting. Some, one guy said to me recently in a in a, a podcast I did or a, a interview I did, oh, I was up at a PMI session. And he raised his hand and said, what if you're in a lousy mood when you go run the, run the meeting? And I said, yeah. suck it up. Yeah. I said, go sit in a corner somewhere, prepare for it, have a cup of coffee, get in that state of mind. You can't walk into your own meeting yeah. in a lousy mood and expect other people. You may find people, you run a couple meetings, it's like people are the third time, they don't feel like it. So it's a, it, it's not, it's not a self-sustaining thing. You got to keep working on it. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like a performance, isn't it, to yeah. a degree? I mean, it's like you have got to be, you've got to be on It'll your be A on. game. I mean, but you're right, because you have to project energy. And I've seen people who get up and they've done all the right things in terms of preparation, yep. and they speak in a monotone. And so Rich and I try to project a certain amount. We we, we teach and and speak an awful lot. I've had people come to my PMP meeting, my classes, their four-day classes, and they think, oh, this is going to suck. It's going to be boring. I try to make it interesting. And then when we start discussing their work, they get interested so yeah. you have to talk in interesting tones and not monotonic because what happens and i've seen it is people will just sort of if you're ever in a meeting and people and the speaker is speaking and people start turning and talking to each other they probably lost interest they've yeah. tuned out and not even that's consciously done that so you have to be interested to be interesting keep them engaged so meetings don't happen without people 
and people sometimes misbehave, like what you were just talking about there, you know, that maybe they're just kind of talking to each other, then I may be paying attention. In your book, what do you call these? What are some examples of these misbehaviors? What are some of the ways that a, a meeting facilitator could cope with some I'll, of these? I'll turn to my esteemed colleague from the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts to begin that. <laughs> yeah. So on the cover of the book, and I know this is audio, but if you look carefully at your MP3 player or computer, if you look carefully, you'll see that each of the uh, people sitting at the table on our cover, some, actually some of them have shadows. Those shadows represent what we call meeting goblins. And a meeting goblin is a personality. It's not a person. It's a personality that comes out at meetings. And you've all seen it. There's that person who's normally pretty verbal. They get into a meeting, maybe especially a large meeting, and they get really shy. And they won't raise their hand when something is wrong or with a great idea. And you've lost out as a project team when that person doesn't raise their hand and speak up. We call that goblin Rosie the Reticent. And we have, I think it's nine goblins, each of which is a distinct personality. And there's a chapter in the book illustrated by our excellent uh, artist, Christina Carlson, that shows an image of each of these goblins. And there are, there's a whole bunch of different personalities that come out and they could change. And that's why we made them shadows. Yeah. They, aren't, they aren't the permanent personality of the person, but just like when you get in a car, and you can think about this. Have you ever changed your personality when you're driving and you might swear <laughs> at someone who's weaving around on the highway and your personality gets a little bit, a mm, little bit acid? That's what can happen at meetings. And so we talk a little bit about each. We give a remedy, uh, a set of actions you can sp specifically uh, take to try to curtail that personality, make it about the meeting and not the person. As you know, in getting to getting to yes, right, hard on the problem, easy on the people. Yeah. Secondly, Rose, the, I think it's Rosie the reticent, but whoever the reticent person is, think about this, Chris. This reticent person may be reticent because they're shy or because they're new to the organization, or they don't want to be seen as the naysayer. And wouldn't it yeah. be great if that person raised their hand and had had raised their hand and said, "I don't think that submersible going down to the Titanic is a good idea." Yeah, We've really stress tested that not enough. And I think that last time might be too much, but those people may either stay quiet or talk among themselves. And there's a fear often of, oh, you're not a team player. Yep. Right. So for a variety of, that may be the passive aggressive ones. You know, we might look at the bully or the loud mouth or whatever, but sometimes the resident one hurts us just as much. So we have strategies in the book for dealing with people who, We'll hijack your meeting. The problem is, is that the meeting is yours to run. You're yet to be, here's my two pieces of advice. You're large and in charge, and you're not worried about being liked. If you're worried about mm. being liked, it's all over, and you're large and in charge. You can't go home at night and say to your spouse, and your spouse says, how'd the meeting go today? Well, I had this one-hour meeting, and Bob talked for 45 minutes, and it's all his fault, went downhill. No, it's our fault that it went downhill, because we allowed Bob to hijack the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, what is it? It's better to be respected than liked. And part of that, you know, part of that in that work environment is going to be the fact that you do need to be large and in charge to be able to take care of that and, 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 and work through that. Let me, let me ask you this, like, let's go back to Rosie the Reticent. Like what would be just kind of a glimpse into maybe how could you handle that as somebody that is leading that meeting? What could be a solution to that? Well, it's a lot of these things come from, from teaching. A lot of the wisdom here comes from just being a good mentor or teacher. And yeah. that you can, and also reading body language, which we talk about as well in the book. 
you can see someone squirming in their seat. Again, you can't see this, but you can see someone squirming in their seat at a meeting. You can watch facial expressions, rolling of eyes. You call on that person. But worst case, you pull the person aside afterwards. You don't necessarily put them on the spot. And you say, um, Rosie, you seemed uncomfortable with that decision. Can you, can you tell me more about what Got you're it. thinking? Because I, I, I think you were reacting. A one-on-one -on -one might be necessary in that case. But we talk, again, there are paragraphs after paragraphs in the book where we talk about each of these personalities and specific actions you can take. This is what, to, to Jim's point, it's a tools-based book. It's a, it's, a, it's a nuts and bolts book where there are specific remedies for some of these, some of these personalities and there are specific remedies for other problems in meetings. And I, I lean towards the private conversation. Rosie's reticent. We have a break. I talk to her aside. She says something and I say, can, I, can, we, can, we, can I use this? Can we discuss this? No, she might say, I'd rather not. Then I might say, not right then, because it's clear I'm always been talking to Rosie. Later in the day, I've had some private conversations. I've been thinking about it, et cetera, and maybe this is an issue. So, so Rosie isn't on the spot necessarily. Somehow yeah. the information needs to be out there, that this thing isn't yeah. going to work. And if she doesn't want to speak up or he doesn't want to speak up, it still has to get out there. The project is the most important thing. But you never want to have people lose face in the media. The only time that might happen is, Really, in my opinion, at least, uh, the worst case is the guy or gal who's a bully or the intimidator. A lot, a lot of what we talk about has to do with psychological safety, right? A lot of this has to do with setting up an environment in which people feel it's okay to raise your voice. And we even have tips on that, including the use of devil's advocacy and red teams and so forth, which are really, really important. However, um, the, the scope of this is really the, the, the team members you can control. If there's a guy in your meeting who's a vice president, three levels up and he's a bully, you know, you may have to go to to your sponsor and say, I got a problem yeah. here. Or if you're working, I'm, I'm fond of saying a small company, it's a family-run company, and the guy's brother-in-law is hassling you, you know, the, our techniques may not work. You can try them but you might be in a losing cause. And I can say freely here, maybe it's time to move on. If I was counseling a person in the company, I'd never say move on. I might try to get people to leave their company. But I can say here, there are certain toxic environments where this just ain't going to work. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice for sure. Now, you've got plenty more good advice in your book, Great Meetings, Build Great Teams. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what, what the reader can find in it. Uh, where can people order this book? Uh, tell us a little bit more about this great book. So the book has a significant amount of detail, although it's a fairly thin book. This is published by uh, Business Expert Press, which has as a theme like your podcast, uh, concise. They want concise to the point books. We do provide uh, an appendix and we do have a website uh, where you can get more information and more detail. Uh, that's projectmeetings.us projectmeetings.us, um, where we even have some additional uh, materials for you. In part, I think he was also asking about what else we might find in there. So it's stuff about body language, a lot about virtual, which we didn't really talk about here. So a lot about virtual, body language, team building, the tools you can use virtually. There's even an appendix or later in the book about the big meeting that we shrunk down a little bit. So we we try to cover all the bases, and I think we do. I don't think we left out a meeting scenario where uh, we even talk a little bit about AI, not usually, but a little bit. So we try to make it current and up to date. But I think we covered just about every meeting or potentially teaching situation you can think of from the half-hour status meeting to the multi-day meeting. And like I said, 
you know, it all boils down for me to two things. You know, if you're running a meeting, well, three things maybe. It's your meeting, or I should say you're the guy or gal in charge. You're large and in charge, or you're not. Either you're running the meeting or somebody in the room is, and not worrying about that being like thing, which is the hardest thing. You say, geez, if I tell this guy to sort of stop talking, he's not going to like me. It's almost like a deep psychological thing. But the other 10 people in the room are looking at you like, let's go. Let's move on. They're not going to like yep. you. So at the end of the day, you just say, hey, Fred, sorry, interesting topic. Let's table it. We'll discuss it later. Let's move on. At that moment, he's going to feel maybe a little pee, but oh, well. Yeah. I think the biggest the biggest piece of the book that I'd like to make the point of is in the title. It's the idea that you 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 use your meeting. You can, if you do it right, use your meeting as a chance to build a great team. So we have a lot in here about breaking the ice and uh, having having and we give specific examples and tools of how to do that first that initial ice breaking. If you know your Bruce Tuckman forming, storming, norming, etc. We, we help you with that aspect of getting people to meet each other. We have a tool called Human Bingo that we uh, show you how to use, provide you with a template for that. So there's a lot in there for a little book. It's packed with a lot of good information. And there's a fair uh, amount of dad humor in there as well So that we found amusing, but your mileage may vary on that one. <laughs> <laughs> My kids uh, will think that is very low mileage when it comes to that. But you know, Both <laughs> kids will. <laughs> You know what? You know what else I appreciate is it's got a lot of good pictures, and by meaning pictures, the 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 figures that are in there are not the usual. You know, it's like we've seen a lot of the 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 images and and graphics about meetings, but there's like a lot of you know very impactful new figures in there, and the infographics that you have, it just really brings it to life. I, I in particular, but I think we collectively do not like those pictures that show a bunch of models in a room pointing at a at a wall chart. That tells you nothing. So we exactly. try to put ones in there that convey some actual information, and and you know, and and by the way, the the the, the struggle between Rich and I sometimes is, I'm trying to always make it practical. He's trying to make it a little more academic, but I think we hit the sweet spot here. It's practical and also academic. Rich is an instructor yes. at BU. He's got that. It's not textbook by any means, but it's got both those pieces. For for example, for a quick example on page on page sixty five, there's a map of the seating of a table, and it yeah. shows you where the different places that in a, in a boardroom, which seats have power, which seats are considered middle managers and so forth. And so there's even a psychology in what I call macro body language, where you stand, where you sit at a meeting. And that's one of the figures. And I'm glad you like the pictures because, you know, it's not just about words. People, right. Some people are affected more by visuals. Right, so. right. So this is a good combination of practical and ac academic, a nice pracademic, perhaps, I guess you could say, right? That's what so I call myself. To coin a word. Do you use that word, Rich? I never heard that's a good one. I do. I call myself a pracademic. Huh. That's good. All right, guys. Well, we absolutely appreciate you being on uh, Great Practices today and sharing this insight into how really important it is to run great meetings and how the fact is that, you know, once you hit that great meeting, you're going to have to get better and better and better. And this book will help you do it. So we encourage everybody to get a copy of this and follow these guys. And you'll be glad you did. And it's available at all your Amazon, all your finer bookstores and a couple of lesser ones, too. So it's out there. Enjoy reading it. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks a lot for being on. Thanks, today. Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. That was another great episode of Great Practices, and we definitely appreciate Rich and Jim joining us today. 
what were some of the great practices and insights that came from this episode? Well, first of all, think about why meetings are so important. Uh, 50% of a project manager's time is estimated to be spent in meetings. And it was brought out that perhaps 90% of a project manager's job is all about communication. So there's no better place than meetings to provide that communication. So it's important to get it right. If done well, meetings can build confidence for you and for the team, and it can build a good reputation for you as the project manager slash leader. But if done poorly, it could really almost serve as a contagion is what I believe the word was used uh, to the team because the effects of a bad meeting are cumulative. You miss uh, an agenda point or two at one meeting, carries over to the next, that gets behind, that gets behind. Next thing you know, you're running behind the eight ball and uh, really the project begins to suffer because of having poorly run meetings. I loved the way that Rich brought out that Kano design theory as really kind of a model or being able to look at how to fix these meetings. That Kano design theory is very interesting. It's something that would be worth looking into a little bit more, but it really talks about different needs, basic needs, performance needs, excitement needs when it comes to developing a product or providing a service or even running a meeting. So, for example, a basic need of running a meeting would be ensuring that every meeting has a clear agenda and starts and ends on time. That's basics. A performance need would be maybe providing concise and relevant information during presentations and facilitating productive discussions so people are actually engaged in the meeting. And then an excitement or a delighter when it comes to that could maybe be introducing a new and engaging brainstorming activity or bringing in an unexpected expert, somebody that nobody thought was going to be there and they show up and just really delight everybody. So that's kind of a way you could think through taking those meetings that you're running and turning them from good meetings into great meetings that build great teams. But I also like the fact that he said there's a catch to running this kind of meeting is that as you delight people, you could begin to spoil them and they could become entitled and they could become used to these awesome meetings. So it's something that you're going to have to keep in mind, not saying don't do it, but just know that you're always going to have to be on top of your game and really bringing the best of the best when you conduct these meetings in order to make people feel excited and want to be in attendance. There was also the side that I thought was interesting that Rich talked about, that people are going to misbehave in meetings. They've got this shadow side to them. And, uh, you know, he gave the example of, does your behavior change perhaps when you're behind the wheel of a car and somebody cuts you off? It's not who you are all the time, but there's that shadow side that comes up and you kind of can get maybe a little bit acid is what I think he said. So the same thing can happen in meetings. People can be maybe a bully or they could perhaps fall back into an area of shyness or reticence and not wanting to speak up. So it's up to you as a great meeting leader in order to bring these people out, in order to draw them out. And you have to figure out the best way to do that. Is that going to be one-on-one with that person? Maybe for that shy person, talk to them after and say, you know, look, I'd really appreciate it if you could bring these points out. You've got great points. Or maybe it's a bully that needs to be shut down in the meeting if that's uh, appropriate and you're able to do that. So that's going to certainly vary upon situation and that's going to certainly take your 
insight and your experience as a project leader to get that done. And when it was all said and done, Jim really summed it up nicely. He said there was really two rules that he would put into all of this. Number one, it's your meeting, run it. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It's your meeting, run it. And don't worry about being liked. It's better to be respected than liked. One person may not like you on this team because of you not letting them speak or giving them you know, the ability to uh, sabotage the conversation, but everybody else on the team is going to appreciate and respect the fact that you kept that meeting running and moving forward. So we'd like to thank Rich and Jim again for being on today and joining us on Great Practices. And be sure to check out their book on great meetings, build great teams. You can find it on Amazon or you can click directly to their site that's in the show notes. Do you have a great practice you'd like to share? Go to thepmoleader.com, click on Explore, Great Practices Podcast, and then fill out the form at the bottom of the screen. Someone will get in touch with you shortly. Also, be sure not to miss a single episode by subscribing to Great Practices on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you hear, we've had some great guests and we've got more lining up. Be sure to share this with your manager, colleagues, and any others that you think would benefit. Thanks again for listening to this episode and keep putting great practices into practice.